Hello, my loves. I'm Carly Deering, and this is Tea with Kings and Queens, the podcast where I chat to the most exciting he, she's and they's from the world of performance. In this episode, I catch up with a true gem of the cabaret world, variety artist, juggler, comedian, the extraordinary gentleman, Matt Ricardo. A key figure in the international cabaret scene, Matt started out as a street performer in Covent Garden in London, where he honed his craft, blending astonishing feats with quick wit and sharp suits. He's an award-winning performer, taking his act all over the world, where he's had residences in legendary venues, been on numerous TV shows, and recently had a role in a Hollywood film. When we chatted, he'd just finished touring his new show, which he'd taken to the Edinburgh Fringe. Alongside performing, Matt is a writer, speaker and photographer, and I really enjoyed his YouTube channel during lockdown and his podcast, Imagination and Junk, all about the creative process. It was an honour to spend time talking to Matt, as I've been such a fan for many years, and this episode is full of his incredible stories, wit and humour. Enjoy. Matt, it is lovely to talk to you. Um, You've just got back from Utrecht International Comedy Festival. Yes. Um, How was that? It was really good. It was completely exhausting because I had to get up at 4.30 in the morning to go to Utrecht um, and then I was doing the midnight show. So it was a long day. There was a lot of coffee. Um, But yeah, no, it was lovely. Um, It's interesting. I'm kind of in every other country except uh, Britain, I'm seen as a comedy act, but I'm not really seen as, you know, if you're not straight stand up here, then what are you, you know, some weird oddment. Um, so it was nice to be invited to do a comedy festival and have everyone go, yeah, you're funny, you do tricks, but also you're funny. So Yeah, that's something that really interests me. How is the audience different? Is the audience different for that reason, that you're seen as a different kind of performer in other countries? Um Particularly in Europe, they have a better understanding of the idea of variety and cabaret because they have a, you know, like here we had variety and and cabaret and stuff through sort of musical and variety. And then it stopped. And the public, you know, the, the famous story is that it stopped because of television. That's not true. It stopped because of rock and roll, because people that ran theatres realised they could pay just for four guys to play for an hour rather than lots and lots of different acts. That's why. Um, But in Europe, that culture carried on. They had rock and roll in bars, but the theatres were still variety theatres. So they have a sort of more, a a kind of more nuanced and rounded understanding of that it exists, which is something I struggle with here where you have to kind of spend the first five minutes of, of your show telling people what you are and why you exist and, you know, introducing them to the idea of what you do. Do you still do that? Do you still feel like you have to do that in this country? I mean, I'm I'm lucky now that when I do my full hour, you know, people come to see me. So that's, you know, you would assume they kind most of them know roughly what I am, what I do. Although people still think I'm a magician and I'm not. (laughs) I'm magic. Um, but when I'm on a, if I'm on a comedy bill or less so a burlesque bill, because yeah. people know, you know, yeah. but on a comedy bill, my, my first couple of minutes of, of script when I come on stage is designed to make people laugh, but also to kind of readjust their brains to what I'm going to be doing. 
um, and answer the questions that are already in their heads. It's like, what are you? Why have you got a suitcase? What's, <laughs> what's going on? Are you old fashioned? You know. <laughs> That's <laughs> fascinating. Do you get a sense now who your audience is when you do your one man shows? And we'll get to your most recent one in a sec. Who comes to see you? So really good question. Um, I, hmm. You, you would have thought that I would that, that I would have thought about this, but I don't think I have, which is probably why I'm not more successful. Um, who comes to see me? Um, it, it kind of varies a lot depending on where I'm doing it. Um, so I do, I don't think I'm doing it this year, but I'll, I'll do it next year. But for the last few years, I've done a, a season at the Crazy Cox in, in London which is a, a really nice kind of cabaret show bar place. Um, and the audience there is mostly slightly older, maybe a little, uh, sort of my age or older, which is old. Um, so and I think it's the kind of people that go out and want to have a, a nice cocktail. And if it wasn't me they were seeing, then it might be a like a little jazz quartet or something where they can dress up and, and show off a little bit to themselves, you know, which is nice, which is what Cat by Embellisk has always been. It's like, look at, you know, look at us, aren't we decadent for this one night? You know, and that's good, that's fine. Um, so I think that, but then, you know, the thing about what I do, yeah, I, I always struggle to sort of define it succinctly, you know, um, which I've always thought was a failing. You know, I, I, it's always annoying when someone, you meet someone and they say, what do you do? And I've been doing this 35 years and I still can't really sum it up. You know, it's like, well, it's tricks, it's comedy, it's not magic, it's kind of circus, but not what you're thinking, you know. Mm -hmm. But what that means is it, it's it's more flexible. So I can perform pretty much to anyone, anywhere. So I think the weakness and the strength are the same, two sides of the same coin there. Um so, yeah, I think who comes to see me is really dependent on where I'm performing. And, mm. you know, I just kind of slot into an event schedule and can market myself to whoever would be passing by, you know. It's um, interesting because it, that makes sense because at Utrecht you're playing Midnight. Edinburgh, you were doing lunchtime shows. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that speaks volumes about the universality of what you're doing and the appeal of it, too. I showed my son, who is five, uh, some of your performing last night, and he was absolutely transfixed. He'd not seen anything like that before. Yay. So I think that's kind of the magic of variety. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's part of it. Um, can we talk about Edinburgh a little bit? Mm. Um, your your last one man show, The Extraordinary Gentleman, um, that you did a one night um, performance in London in January, and you obviously took it to Edinburgh last year. You're very open about your experiences with Edinburgh. You're very, you're very open anyway. Yeah. Um, but I enjoy listening to you talk about Edinburgh and how honest you are about it. As an audience member, I think Edinburgh is very special and very magical. From your perspective, it can have obviously highs and lows. How mm. was it for you last year? It's four weeks straight yeah. performing the same show. How do you deal with that and take care of yourself and keep it interesting? Um, yeah, it's a lot. Mm. Um, it's it's really interesting because I don't know. I it's like 
most other performers who take shows to Edinburgh, when I talk to them about it, they're like, oh, it's great. I love it. It's the, the big party time and I get to do my show. And and I I have never liked it. Um, and don't get me wrong, you know, the privilege of being able to have a, a, a theatre every day that for an hour I can do my thing in and probably people will come. Well, you're at Gilded Balloon, which is one of my favourite venues. It's a to, lovely to venue, yeah. And, and I did okay the, last year. You know, I did, did good houses. I didn't lose money. You know, that's for Edinburgh. That's a massive win. Um, and I love getting to do my show from a personal perspective. It's, you know, of, of, of course, it's a, 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 a real privilege to have people, strangers, pay to come and clap and laugh and tell you how great you are. <laughs> of course, people yeah. like me like this, you know. <laughs> um, it's, it's, the other side of it is it's a trade show you know it's it started out as a real arts festival and there's still bits of that but mostly it's run by four venues and it's mainly stand-ups who want to become millionaires by by presenting bad shows on weird little itv3 um or being on panel shows doing yeah yeah by somebody else you know Mm. and that means nothing to me that's not anything to do with what I do, but it is the dominant kind of vibe, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm a really fragile boy, you know, I'm up, up here is all broken. Um, so it, it can be hard, you know, you say, how do you take care of yourself? That's the main thing, you know, because every day at, as a cabaret performer, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be famous. I didn't get into this to be rich or famous. Of course I didn't, you know, I'm a, juggler who becomes a juggler to be rich and famous tell me a rich famous juggler <laughs> um, um so you know you get into it because you want to make things that's it i want to make things um so you have to cling to the reasons you got into doing this the reasons you're an artist and that's hard to do all the time but it's super hard to do where every day you walk into your venue underneath huge billboards of people that you know who are hugely famous and hugely rich and and you just feel like a loser you have to really have you know continually talk to yourself and so I say no it's okay I don't want to be that and he didn't they didn't give him the billboard because he deserved it he bought a billboard yeah yeah but still it's you know the the it's the the industry side of it wants it to be a league table who's the top who's at the bottom you know it, it, it needs that um, whereas the artistic side of it, you don't need that. You just make your things and people that like what you make, like it, you know. So I, I'm doing better now at that. Mm. Um, but in the past, I haven't done so well with that. It, it, it has been hard. Yeah. Is it um, important for you to still do it? Do you, do you think it's important for new performers who aren't stand-ups, who are doing... Variety, cabaret, burlesque. Is, do you think it's important for them to go? Edinburgh? Yeah. Um, it depends what you want out of it. It's all about doing things on your own terms, you know, having your set of rules and not falling for the trick of having someone else tell you what the rules are, you know. So if you want to do it, I mean, it. you know, the first time I did Edinburgh, it absolutely was an amazing thing to do. I was going to quit. This is like 12, 13 years yeah. ago. All my work was abroad. 
and my home life was suffering and I was going to quit and be a photographer. And I'd always said, well, one day I will take a one-man show to Edinburgh. So I thought, well, I'll do that, get it out of my system, and then I can walk away having done it. And it was good. <laughs> and people liked it, and it won awards and stuff. And it showed me that, oh, you know, you can do work a small room to an intimate audience, do something of worth that touches them a little bit, and, you know. And maybe that's – and through that, I was like, well, then burlesque and cabaret, that is my, my new family. You know, mm. small basement rooms – People that are, you know, the phrase I always use is the broken biscuits, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it's people that, and, and it's the same kind of family that I found 35 years ago when I arrived at Covent Garden as a street performer. It, it's these the flotsam and jetsam that have got these weird ideas that don't fit anywhere else. So we make our own place, you know. Um, so, yeah, is it, is it worth a new performer doing it? If they know what they want and if they're doing it for the right reason, you know, I think there's certainly still a space for people that going that, that go to Edinburgh, you know, seeing a bunch of big shows by mm. predominantly white male stand-ups and then yeah. stumbling into a little room in a bar where some weirdos are doing something weird and having their life changed. I think yes. there's always, wherever there's a room and some performance, there's a chance of something like that to happen. So, you know, yeah. But that room doesn't need to be in Edinburgh. Yes, yeah, I agree. I agree. I like. I like to think my whole podcast is about we're, we're gathering all our broken biscuits are coming on to have a chat together. So that's mm -hmm. a very nice way for you to describe it. Um, so in order for you to carry on with this as your career, you you must have made some compromises then. But you seem to be among this small bunch of performers that I love that have managed to make it work. Mm. somehow yeah yeah I mean I, that's interesting um you could yeah. have you could have carried on going okay I'm gonna do loads of telly I'm gonna do those panel shows and go for it you're winning those awards at Edinburgh but that's not for you that's not why you're doing it so you've kept your integrity I hope so I mean I I don't know if I could have done those things I've never been asked to do those things because mm. I'm you know in the eyes of those people I'm not a comedian mm. you know um I I don't watch those panel shows but I am you know it's not for me but having said that I am quite public um about that you know I would like to be on Richard Osman's House of Games I love that show I would <laughs> love great. to be on that show yes <laughs> Um, <laughs> if, if you're if you're listening, um, but it, it it's you know it's yeah I don't I, I I get asked to do a few things normally I get for TV I get asked to come on and do a trick yeah and that's fine it's fine you know it's not it it's not Im important to me you know I love TV but for me I've always been touched more by live performers the the, the people that changed my life and continue to our live performers, you know. Um, in terms of integrity, I, I mean, I guess the joke is, you know, it's all I've got. Um, you know, I, I don't have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky. I've been doing this long enough that I am, uh, that, that there was a cabaret host uh, called Ophelia Bits, who I used to work with a long, a, a lot. And she once introduced me on stage as <laughs> she said, um, uh, this Meg, and now, am I allowed to swear on this? Yes, yes, feel uh, free. She introduced me and said, uh, uh, this man is a legend in our scene, which means he's a big fish in a fucking puddle. 
um, which we love because it's an yeah, insult what a, compliment. What a beautiful puddle that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, so um, I, I'm, I'm very lucky. I've got enough of a small reputation that people offer me work. Um, mostly I can, you know, I tend to take the work that I, that I think I will enjoy or that will be of worth. Obviously, sometimes I will take stuff that is more boring. That's when the price goes up. You know, yeah. there's always a, 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 a fee to is the gig good ratio. You know, as one goes down, the other goes up. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know about integrity. I'm just, um, I, I, I just try to always make things that come out of my head. That's, mm. It's as simple as that. Just to try and if I'm feeling think something or, or thinking something, write it down or shoot a video or take a photo or just capture stuff. It, it really helps that I'm terrified of death, um, okay. which, you know, sounds sounds glib, but it's that it forces you to do that sort of examined life thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you go, right, I'm doing this thing like this last weekend at Utrecht Comedy Festival. I might never, ever go to Utrecht again. I don't know. I, I might, but I might not. So let's do all the, let's try and experience as much of it as I can. Write it down, take photos, shoot video, so I don't forget, you know? Yeah. And that's, I guess, how you make art. Mm. <laughs> well, you're doing it. <laughs> you seem good at it. I'm um, making something. <laughs> <laughs> which is the point, which is the point. Um, to me, I'm totally with you that the live performance is like the, the purest, best way to experience uh, what you do and what all the performers do that I speak to. Yeah. So if we can turn to lockdown mm -hmm. a bit um, and talk about how you cope with that, because you made this huge transition into creating stuff online. You didn't do what other performers did that I've spoken to who did what they would do in the clubs or the theatres and just put it online. You switched to do something different. Yeah. Um, which was creating a fantastic podcast, YouTube content. You've now got a great Patreon. Why was that decision made for you? I think it's obvious why, but why did you choose to yeah. do those things as opposed to just start performing in your living room? Um, well, I knew that I needed to find a way to make things because otherwise the voice is, the voice is in my head. Um, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I did it like, like in the first sort of, I guess, year, God, the first year of the yeah. pandemic, what a, what yeah. a phrase. Um, it, I, I, I got a few offers from like corporate agencies saying, we're doing a big online corporate thing. Would you come and like do five minutes on camera? And it's like, yeah, they're paying me money and I've got no work for a whole year. Of course I'm going to do it. But it was the weirdest, oddest, mm. stupidest thing. So Just, you were in your suits? I was and... in this room, <laughs> in my suit, looking at this webcam and doing my stuff, which, you know, is... It's, it's live, it's an interactive thing, it's a conversation with the audience, yes. and all I can see is a mosaic of little people in their home offices going and just <laughs> looking at me and occasionally clapping, but I can't hear them clapping, and it's, oh, it's just awful. Mm. It's awful. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, 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 I've always liked photography, so I know a little bit about how to work a camera. So I thought, right, okay, well, let's, let's invest a little bit of money in enough equipment that I can make good-looking films and I could learn how to do that so the first year I just learned how to how to shoot video learned how to make films learned about editing about color grading all this stuff um 
And yeah, it's a nice outlet. And and my my YouTube videos, because you know, YouTube's governed by a, a secret evil algorithm. No one watches my stuff. I mean, you know, tiny, tiny amounts of people do. But I know, do. And I do. But, <laughs> and it's beautiful. And that's what's so great about it, that the you've got this secret cache of beautiful stuff, beautiful oh, art you. there. Thanks. And and for me. Uh, lockdown. Well, I started this podcast in lockdown for the mm-hmm. same reason to create and to yeah. have interesting conversations, and also to discover things like this. And it was very important uh, to not just make it, but to consume uh, the other things that people were creating yeah. too. And and you've carried it on. So have you yeah. have enjoyed the process? Yeah, it's it's really nice. Um, yeah, I enjoy making things, and you know, it, the, the, when I first started doing it, when I I knew nothing about YouTube, again, I got suckered into being obsessed with the view count and what mm. do I do? And you start googling all oh, tricks and hacks to boost you, and it's like, no, this is all bullshit. It's all bullshit. Yes, yeah. I work in small rooms, so this is a small room. This is, you know, my YouTube channel's the little basement cabaret room. You know, it's it's not television. It's a little basement cabin with a couple of hundred people watching me. You know, that's fine. That's fine. Mm. It doesn't cost me anything to make these things. It just, and it, and I enjoy it. So it's win-win. What was it like the first time you sat down with the camera and sat and, well, I guess it was performing, performed, yeah. chatted to camera? Um, I, I found it very natural. Mm. Um, it's interesting. When I've done bits of TV before and I've, and I've talked to camera, um when you've was, done a lot of tv I've done don't do yourself down you've done an awful <laughs> lot of television <laughs> um, i know I've, yeah i've done bits and pieces and i remember one time i forget what it was there was some show where i had to talk to camera and after i'd done it the the director said you're really good at that mm. and i thought that's but it's easy mm. it, how is it how can you be bad at it it's just to, and apparently he was saying no most people can't look at a lens and just talk as if it's a person it's they you have to really work on it and it comes naturally to me I don't know I'm as you are discovering I'm very good at talking um so yeah I feel very comfortable talking to a lens and and it's nice knowing a few of the people that watch like you know you if if, if you know I can visualize you watching and it's like having this conversation but yeah. you know um and I guess I'm lucky that that comes naturally so that allows me to be a bit more open and honest and not have to kind of think well how should I say something it's like no just say it how you say it you know Mm. and you had a lot of honest discussions on there you talked about mental health Mm. and how you were dealing with things did you find that cathartic was that like a helpful process you think yeah I think so it's yeah you know it is what it's a a classic mental health uh I don't want to say coping mechanism but but yeah. therapy to yeah. sort of write down your feelings get them out onto a page and a camera's the same as that you know um and you know you, you you say things out loud you take away their power because mental health is a lot of it is about shame and secrecy and, mm. and all that stuff and if you say it out loud and I'm, I do work hard at not being bashful or embarrassed about talking about my mental illness you know if you say it out and use words like mental illness rather yeah. than Oh, I've got issues. It's like yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. mentally ill. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't feel ashamed about having a broken leg. Um, it's the it's a medical thing. You know, mm. um, yeah, I think it certainly helps. And it and it's it's certainly you know it's really nice. Um, like I did a video a, cu- a couple of years ago now about my journey, the first 
few weeks of, of taking antidepressants. And I still get messages through YouTube about people who have seen it. And it's like, right, I think I might talk to my doctor, but, you know, wow. and it's like, that's amazing. That's yeah. ridiculous, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you started your podcast to Imagination and Junk mm. uh, with your friend, writer, Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like? I mean, this is a, it's a beautifully crafted podcast. Mine's oh, just very much DIY. <laughs> it's, it's lovely. What made you decide to start doing that medium? And you are carrying it on. It says so on your yes. website. Yes. yes, we are. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, um, we're really slow uh, <laughs> it takes a lot of work it's not you know yes yeah most most podcasts that are just two middle-aged white guys um <laughs> are just two middle-aged white guys going well we're the funniest people in the world we'll just riff and it's <laughs> no you know, this is me and bill you know each episode is uh three essays each that we write then we edit then we draft and then we, you know it's a lot of work yeah um but um yeah so we are relaunching it well, not relaunching. We, season two is coming in the next month or so. Um, we've got uh, um, all of season two in the can, um, and then wow. we're going to go straight into season three. Um, right. And yeah, it was such. It's such a weird thing, and that's another brilliant lockdown thing. So, like five years ago, I went to Los Angeles and I performed at the Magic Castle in Hollywood, which is as ridiculous as you would think. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, they give you a butler. They give you're, you a you're butler. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on, on your first day, this guy in a uniform comes out and says, hello, my name's Carlos, I'm your, I'm your butler. Uh, and they give you a credit card with a certain amount of money on it that you can, is it, so uh, is there anything you'd like every day? And you go, yeah. Uh, between my first and second show, I'd like a pot of coffee and the, the salad and a cider. And, and that'll be there for you every day. Oh, it's the best. Did and you then get on the last used one, to it? Oh, I want a butler. <laughs> and on the last day, he says, so um, this is your last night. Uh, you have hundred dollars left on your credit card so um cocktails yes <laughs> anyway um so i i played magic castle and bill who i didn't know at that point who is a, a writer he used to for, for a long time he was a writer at newsweek mm. and then he wrote he spent 10 years in la writing for sitcoms and he's written all over all sorts of stuff he's great brilliant writer mm. very funny um he saw he was in the audience and he saw me and watched me and then, like, literally, like, months later, he found me on the internet and just sent me a message saying, oh, I saw you at the Magic Castle. Fantastic. And really just, you know, we just started talking. And he did a podcast on his own um, that had just finished, and he was looking for a new sort of idea. So, yeah, you know, we just said, well, let's write about the, the thing we have in common, you know, as a performer and a writer is, is making things, being creative, and how that is, A, hard work, and B, um, really useful for humans, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. um yeah so but all I mean all I do is I just write things and say them into a to a digital recorder all the stuff that makes the podcast sound good is all Bill <laughs> he mixes it and it, it, it he's amazing at that well it, yeah it's 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 really beautiful and I'll put the link to it obviously um on the, in the podcast bio um I'm glad I'm so glad you're carrying it on I didn't want it just to be a lockdown project no um because there's so many um issues that you touch on and that are universal you know that are are helpful for everybody who's who's creative yeah Um, you also have put uh bits of your act online as well um your youtube channel is a lovely mixture of things how do you feel about putting your performances online 
Ooh, um, oh, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, there's a couple of there's a couple of uh, bits in my full show that rely on a surprise. So mm. I can put those on because that's losing the fun. Um, but I think it's fine. I mean, you know, there is this old kind of idea that once you put your act out there, then who's going to come and see you live? It's not you've 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 given it away for free. I don't think that's true. Mm. Um, it's interesting. Uh, uh, quite a while ago, I was on a uh, a TV ad for an insurance company. Um, sorry, an evil insurance company. Okay. Um, I'm just uh, guessing. I'm assuming they were evil. They no longer pay me, so I can say that. Um, and and in the ad, I did my signature trick. I pulled the tablecloth and yeah. then put the tablecloth back on the table, and. So before that ad came out, at the end of my standard cabaret act, I pull the cloth, they clap, and then I sort of say, oh, there's, there's one more thing, and then I put it back on. And in that moment when I say there's one more thing, before the ad, people didn't know what was going to happen. And they were like, and then after the ad, I was thinking, is this going to ruin the surprise? And you could tell people it didn't ruin the surprise. They were like, you, you could hear they were like, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, we're going to see it for real. Yeah, anticipation. You know, on TV, they don't know if it's real. It could yeah. be, a, you know, if you look under my my YouTube videos that have that trick, there's always people that are like, okay, here's how it's done. He's got a thin layer of perspex on the table and he put in it's like, no, I just learned it. That's so much easier. <laughs> so it's really interesting that the, the palpable audience response changed from we don't know what's going to happen to, oh, shit, we're going to see this for real. And that's lovely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but building our anticipation. Um, when, well, I saw you do your fantastic TEDx talk. Um, and you do, do you do that, um, your signature piece mm. that you have described? Um, what was that like speaking to quite a different audience? So you, you're mixing performance there with a talk, um, yeah. which is kind of a different type of performance, I suppose, for you. What was that like? It, I, I enjoyed it. I've done that talk a, a couple of times since. Um, the, uh, the National Gallery of Ireland, I think that's what it was. Or is it, no, yeah. Um, had me to do it in their gallery because they had that they were doing a circus season so I did a, you know which was lovely um it, it it was nice the only thing about that <laughs> that that particular day was there's there's a gag in the sort of first couple of minutes of that speech that that, that talk about how I was recommended to be a funeral director yes and that gets a laugh right because it's you know I'd done on that day after a funeral director who was like super cool. This woman who was like into sort of, you know, green burials and, and the philosophy of life <laughs> and death. So it's like, oh, she's so much more impressive than me. I can't make a joke about her job now. The yeah. chances of that happening though. Oh, <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was really nice to be asked. And, you know, you know, like I say, I like talking. Um, <laughs> um, and, and any chance to give people who wouldn't have knowledge of this kind of little niche world of street performers and cabaret to tell them about it. And, and you know, it, it, it's always nice to open people's eyes to a world that they're not a part of yet and might want to have a little sample of. 
with your love of talking to people and kind of that interaction does that translate to online do you talk to these people who make comments like oh he does it with perspex or whatever is that mm. do you do online chatting? i always tell them they're completely right <laughs> i say yeah you got me you got me yeah <laughs> it's impossible <laughs> yeah you're right uh, <laughs> um no i don't really interact with like trolls and stuff and, and, and you know mm. being someone that is incredibly minimally in the public eye you do you know whenever i'm on television you'll get one person who will just create an account on Twitter specifically so they can call you the worst things and then run away. Mm. And it's, it doesn't, it's nothing. But, mm. You know, I used to be a street performer. Yes. But, you know, I've had the worst hecklers you can possibly have. I had, during the street show once, I had a woman, like Saturday afternoon on Covent Garden, like 300 people watching me. I had a woman come into my audience, uh, drop her pants, pull up her skirt and take a shit. You're kidding. Nope. And then she just walked away. So once you've had that in a show, just, the bar has been set. N nobody on Twitter can touch me because come on. Can we can we talk about that? <laughs> uh, she was a sad, crazy person. You I know, see. She, was, she had a lot of um, uh, problems and, you know, she was yeah, angry and weird. And, you know, I feel very, very sorry for her. But at yeah. that moment, I felt more sorry for me. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, I'm guessing street performing was the best training ground you could have had oh, for what you do. It's the best. It's the most pure, wonderful um, art form in the world. I love. Not supposed to be there. It, is that how you feel about? Yes, because it surprises people. It, yeah, it, it by sheer force of will and artistry and craft and skill, a performer can transform a space that isn't a theatre into a theatre mm. and have an audience made of, pe of people who didn't plan to go and see a show that day. That's incredible. And, and more and more in a world where public spaces are privately owned and managed and, yes. and where entertainment is all monetized and all scheduled. And, you know, street performing is still the little pee underneath the mattress. It's still this weird outlier where it can just fucking happen. And you can't stop it. It's oh, it's amazing. And you still auditions though. There were um, auditions for Covent Garden. The, yeah, point. the way it used to work, and I think still works at Covent Garden, um, was you, you did have to audition, but it was basically a formality because it was run by the street performers in association with you know I the see. people that own the shopping centre. So the the thing that we always fought for was you can't learn to be a street performer anywhere else other than being a street performer. So everyone that auditions will be shit. But as long as they want to learn, and as long as they're not dangerous or horrifically insulting, you know, then you give them a shot, you know. Um, and that, that was always the kind of philosophy that, you know, and, and we all, you know, I arrived not knowing what I was doing, a wet behind the ears teenager, you know, and I left many years later, 20, nearly 20 years later, as, you know, a grown up married man with a career and, you know, um, it absolutely made me. It, mm. it made every part of me. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have an act. I wouldn't have stagecraft or skill. I wouldn't know what it. I wouldn't know about the sacrifice and hard work that is being an artist. I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have forged lifelong friendships. You know, everything. It gave me everything. Was your act influenced by the other performers as well? Do you think? A bit. There was a there was a lovely community of 
performers there who would give each other ideas and you know we discuss it out because we had nothing else you know mm. and and you get there early in the morning and you're not on until like two in the afternoon so you just sit around talking about this you know um my, my stuff was initially yeah initially influenced by all my sort of heroes and my influences yes, then yeah. then I started doing research and and finding out about the what were called the gentleman jugglers of like a hundred years ago and then I thought well no one's doing this and this is super cool because it's a way of dressing not like a juggler and presenting tricks not like here's a trick be impressed but more like hey here's just a cool way that this dude this cool dude does things and that's an interesting theatric you know that's immediately that's theater you know yes. so quite early on I, I got obsessed with that and that's been my sort of guiding thing for forever really and it does make it look rather effortless I loved I want to come back to your dress uh, and the whole aesthetics of what you do in one second but I love the video you did where you're performing in Edinburgh a fire alarm goes off and then you immediately carry on as a street performer yeah you're just outside on the street doing it so that must have felt interesting the audience loved it obviously because they're not just standing around waiting yeah it was it was, it was um I will I will admit this and I am ashamed of this right but <laughs> so when it happened I, I was like 15 minutes into into my hour and the power alarm went off and everyone got told they were going to go out and then you know in, in a few minutes come back in again and I you know because I was in that mindset I was just kind of like okay we'll go outside and, and but my agent happened to be in the audience okay and my agent is and I'm sure you won't mind me saying this um a uh, what's the what's the nice a scrappy little Manchester guy <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's not little but and he just ran up to me and said what can you do outside and I was like of course but I didn't you know, he thought of it because he knew that I could but I was just blinkered into I'm doing my show but he was just reminded me you know mm. so I just grabbed some stuff on my outside and and um yeah it, it, it was lovely because not only did my audience see it but all, all the audiences from the other shows that had yes. been so I probably sold some tickets <laughs> that's what that's what I loved about it it was not being cynical like it's some kind of advertising but it was so beautifully natural that yes your audience were there but then you see people who are just walking by who are like oh something's yeah. happening this is exciting exactly. which is exactly bringing back that magic of the street performance that, again that, that's it people walking by going something's happening here it looks like I should watch it you know do you ever feel like in between your shows you think oh I just go out and perform <laughs> or is that not for you now it's, it's really funny I am lucky enough that I still get invited like every year I do a two or three like international busking festivals yeah because I, I love it so much um and you know like I say I'm a, I'm a big fish in a fucking puddle so you know in that little world I, you know people do invite me so like this year I'm going to Australia Canada uh somewhere else I forget where I don't know. um wow. <laughs> and and it, it it's lovely because you know you don't have to worry about any of the bad things of on a street performing you can just go there and get an audience and have fun and it's fantastic mm -hmm. um in terms of, I mean, it's really funny. So when we moved here um, to, to where we are now, about seven years ago, um, I walked down the high street and immediately it's this sixth sense that buskers have of knowing where the pitch is. Mm -hmm. So I just walked down. OK, so that's where you do the show, because you're mm -hmm. not blocking any any shop doorways. You won't get moved on. You're not causing obstruction. There's no loud noises. There's a flat thing. There's a lamppost you can climb up for a joke. 
people are there's a flow of people coming this way so this is where and i haven't done real street performing for more than 10 years mm -hmm. um but but still it's like well just in case you know if 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 it all goes to shit i know i know where the pitch is <laughs> <laughs> my wife is like you don't do that anymore so i know i know i know but, but I, don't, I don't want to <laughs> i love that i've i've got to say in terms of street performing in liverpool there, there's plenty but in all senses of the word, I'd like to see more variety in it. Much mm. of it are um, singers with guitars, very talented, um, but singing quite miserable songs. Yeah. And I feel like the the joy of street performance is that it can change the atmosphere of an outdoor space. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. You, you're walking along the high street and there's someone singing a very maudlin song on an acoustic guitar. And it might, yeah, that's not for me, but I would like to see <laughs> a little bit of different kind of performance going on but that's just presumably tastes and fashions and well yeah and 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 that's where something like the Edinburgh Fringe is good because you've got yes all over the world so you get a much richer kind of diversity of kinds of people and kinds of performance and you know yeah yeah let's talk about aesthetics yeah. and the the visuals of what you do is obviously so central to it when you put on those clothes, do you feel like you're adopting not a character as such, but a slightly different persona? Um, hmm. it's very glamorous. You, what you do, you've you've made it very glamorous. Glamorous. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Like I, I think called glamorous. <laughs> I think vaudeville is inherently glamorous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's really complicated, mm. um, but also it's not. So. So Matt Ricardo isn't my name. Ah, It's not the name that I was born with, but it is my name. So the name I was born with, I stopped using when I was in my late teens, when I started becoming in sh you know, show business. Yes. Um, when I had to pick a, a, a stage name. So I, you know, so Matt Ricardo. And, and although it's not my real name, it is the name that defines me that it, it is my correct label I'm not you know I stopped being the other name when I was a kid mm -hmm. so the grown-up man has always been Matt Ricardo and that's who I am you know I have missed uh, a, a a flight because they announced my old name and I just didn't register it that's how much you know um so the clothes is an extension of that when I started performing I was as a teenager I was a very shy um, stuttering shut-in of a teenager. Um, which is why when I first started performing, everyone that knew me was really surprised because I was very shy and suddenly I wanted to be in front of people, you know. Um, so I kind of re rebooted myself because I wasn't happy with who I was, you know. I mean, my, my, my depression started as a teenager. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I, I saw a chance to sort of, and we all do this several times throughout our lives, but I did it, I think Showbiz lets you do it a bit more clearly and obviously. Mm. So I picked a new name and a new job, you know, a new reason for, for doing everything. Um, and I started dressing differently. I, I, like I say, I researched these gentlemen jugglers and I thought, well, these guys are cool and they do tricks that I do. So let's see if we can, you know, and through that, grow up a little bit, you know. Um, it seems like a good 
shallow sort of archetype for the kind of man I wanted to be as a teenager, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I started wearing suits and learning about nice clothes, learning about the aesthetics, the history of, of menswear and fashion. And the bottom line is that I wear suits because I really like suits. Yeah. Um, I, I like that they're all the same, but they're all different. You can, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of template that you can then really, really fuck with, you know. Um, when I put on a suit, it makes me feel stronger and more confident. It, it, it reminds me to be the man that I wanted to be rather than the nervous kid. Uh, it feels bulletproof, you know. Mm. Um, if I put on a, a good three-piece suit before I go on stage, I'm like, you can't touch me now. Yeah. You know, and it's really, I think a lot of performers have something like that in their head. It's like you turn it on and you go, right, come on then, you know. Yes. Um, and especially as a street performer where, you know, it's a street, so bad things can happen. You know, people do get assaulted. There's, you know, it, it helps to feel confident to, to command that space, you know, and to go, I've got a right to be here. Also, I kind of liked, especially when I was a street performer, but still now, I, I used to really enjoy going to work as a street performer and knowing that the way that I dressed and the way I looked, nobody on the train would guess what I did for a living. They would all get it wrong. <laughs> Not that I was ashamed of it, but there was a nice, you know, clothing is a language and that means you can mm. lie. And lying with clothes is fun because you can, you know, it, it, you start to get on the fringes of kind of drag and stuff of, yes. of deciding consciously how you present yourself. You know, yes. I am not a, a rich um, gentleman, but I look like one. And I also look a bit like the enemy. You know, I'm as a, <laughs> a, as a um, straight, white, middle-aged cis dude, when I wear a pinstripe suit, a blue pinstripe suit and a polka dot tie, I look like a Tory politician. <laughs> I look like the enemy. That's unfair. Well, no, but it's, but it's, but you know, but then I can fuck with that and go, yeah, but I'm not. Yes. In real yeah. life, I'm a working class, very socialist ally, you know. So it, it, it's good to kind of confront people's expectations a little bit and, and push them out of those expectations just by existing how you want to look you know do you put on those suits just for performing no you... I wear them um I mean I'm not you know at home now I'm not I'm wearing a um well I'm wearing actually a one-off limited edition uh Korean uh, couture hoodie but, oh my goodness <laughs> but um uh no I mean I I I don't always wear suits off you know when I'm out but not performing but I sometimes do I also, I'm an old hip hop boy, so I kind of like street weary stuff. So, you know, I've also got some nice Adidas sneakers and, you know, hoodies that, that I got from a, a small um, uh, independent startup in Philadelphia. <laughs> you know, I, I like that shit as well. But mostly, yeah, I, you know, I, if I'm going somewhere nice, if I'm going somewhere where I'm going to be, you know, because I'm socially awkward. So if I'm going somewhere where I'm, I know that I'm a little nervous of going mm -hmm. there, then I'll put on my armour. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, you you were playing the Albert Hall. Yeah. Was it this week? Yeah. You've had quite a week. This is a normal week for you, obviously. No. But, but, um, <laughs> what did you need your armor for that? <laughs> um, it's quite an unusual gig. 
I knew that it would go badly. Oh, did it go badly? Well, I mean, not horrifically badly. You know, I didn't die on my ass because there wasn't enough people for that to happen. It was, yeah, it let's was a talk private, about what it was. <laughs> it was a private gig. Yes, I didn't know was, these things happened in the Albert Hall, to be honest, but I should have uh, known better. Of course they do. The, the Albert Hall uh, seats 5,200 people. I performed for 19 people. Hmm. So there were a few empty seats. Um, yeah. You know, as, as I said to no laugh, uh, I said, you should have advertised. You would have sold more tickets. Um, <laughs> Um, so, you know, it was fine. And the people that watched um, w- were lovely and appreciative and it, it was fine. But it was just completely fucking bonkers because mm. it doesn't matter how enthusiastic 19 people are. If you're in the Albert Hall, <laughs> then it's going to sound empty. So that was it was just it wasn't bad. It was just super odd. Mm. Um, it was like the um, it, it, what, what's the phrase? The, you know, the monkey's paw thing. Yes. So it's like, I would like to to, to work the Albert Hall. Okay, you're <laughs> to 19 people in the Albert Hall, you know. And you were told you weren't allowed to use the stage because the Chinese oh, State Circus. Soleil. Oh, Cirque du Soleil, sorry. Cirque du Soleil, Soleil. Are, are there and they had their stage and I was told that I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not allowed on the stage. because it's But so- then actually I wondered, is that better? Because you'd have the entire stage, just yeah. you with no atmosphere. So then actually you're moving it, you were, where you're performing it, you were moved a bit closer to yeah, the Yeah, no, you're completely audience. right. Yeah. The funny thing is not only did Cirque du Soleil um, forbid me from going on their stage, they moved one of their huge props onto the middle of the stage so that there wasn't space for me. And they sent someone to watch to make sure that I didn't. Wow. <laughs> wow. Did, did, I know you attempted to get on the stage. It's such a shame that you didn't just see what happened. You got dragged off wanted. by some security. Well, I, yeah, I made the joke that if I did, I'd be tackled to the floor by someone from Cirque but before they tackled me, they do like like handsprings and a back <laughs> and then tackle me. <laughs> you, you are a comedy performer. Thank you, yes. <laughs> Another um, example where you were performing to a very small audience was, was something quite different, is a film you were in recently. Oh, okay, yeah. Yes. Um, what was that experience like? The what, What's it called at See How They Run? See How They Run, yeah. I should know what it's called, shouldn't I? Um, that was really nice. It was really fun. Um, the director uh, was really specific on his kind of nerdery of uh, old variety acts. Mm. And I think that's why I got the call, because they knew that I had a knowledge of history. And, you know, he wanted the trick I did with, with the hats. He wanted that specific trick. Um, and he sent me a video of an old guy doing it. He said, can you do exactly this? Was this a, a trick that you'd done before? Or is this something a bit Yeah, I, did, I, I, I don't do it in my act, but I had done it previously, so I, I, I could do it, yeah. Um, and yeah, it was really nice. It was done in the height of the pandemic. So mm. um, it was, you know, very odd. Everyone was bubbled. Everyone was, there was like tests every couple of hours, um, which was obviously good and correct. Um, Sasha Ronan is amazing. She's just an amazing actor. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was fun. It was like two days work. Um, but it was when, you know, it was at the point where, where because of lockdown, I hadn't worked for like four months. So I was like, you know, yes, let's yeah. do showbiz again. You know, <laughs> oh, lights and cameras. Oh, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really fun. It was, um, um, it was, it was a, fine enough movie I guess 
I think I think I was the high point. I think we can all agree that it's the movie's really about me. Well, your bit's the only bit I've seen, to be honest. I haven't seen the film. I've just seen seen your bit. bit. Exactly. I don't need to see it now. Um, What was it like getting back on stage again, doing a proper show after the pandemic? What was that feeling like? Were you nervous? No, not nervous. Mm. Um, So the the last gig I did before lockdown happened, it was really weird. There was a kind of week where before lockdown happened, but we all started to think, oh, something's happening here. This is, you know, it just started to grow and become, oh, this might not just be a little news story. This might be something, you know. And the last gig I did before lockdown was, it it couldn't have been more perfect. I was the cabaret in a big ballroom in a hotel in London Mm. for uh, a um, a conference of uh, international private school head teachers. So I was in a room in front of a thousand people and at every table were like 10 people from a different country who had all flown in to mix wow. the germs in okay, one Okay, great. And so I said on stage, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's absolute privilege to be the last thing you ever see. <laughs> because we're all dying now. It didn't get a laugh and it's like, oh shit, we're taking this seriously now. Yeah, we weren't yeah. taking this seriously yesterday, but now, and they were checking their phones and it was just happening. Wow. Um, so then I, I, I went home, that was on a Saturday night. By Monday, an entire year's touring had been cancelled. Just my whole year had just been cancelled. It was really freaky. I still don't think we've processed it all as a There's society. There's no way we have. The, the, the collective trauma and the continuing trauma, because yes. it ain't over, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the first gig I did back was, I guess it was autumn that year? Um, maybe October. It was one of my one-man shows in uh, the Crazy Cox, and there were rules so they could only sell half the tickets for distancing. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is meaningless when you've got a small room with the doors closed. I mean, yes. It, you know, um, I had to oh, at the beginning of the show. I had to tell them the guidelines on what they could and couldn't do as an audience. That's fun. Oh, you know, and they thought it was a joke because it sounds like a joke. Yes. I had to say, no, really, you know. So you can laugh, you can clap, you can't cheer, you can't sing along. Because cheering apparently expels more, you know, than laughing, you know. And they were like, ah, no, really, look, they sent me an email. (laughs) And then for the next year, every single gig, it's like, should we be doing this? Mm. You know, it's it, it's capitalism, you know. Yes. I need to do work because I need to, to buy food. But we probably shouldn't all be in a room together. We probably shouldn't. It's People are still dying. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe yeah. the government should all give us lots of money to sit at home for a longer time so it goes away. Yeah. But, you know, um, so it was really weird. And as a someone who is generally quite anxious, it was anxious. You know, mm. someone, you know, I have anxiety disorder. And what that does is it convinces you that the outside world and other people are dangerous. So you just stay away from them. And that was the truth. Yeah. So, you know, it was like my brain was saying, well, your anxiety, that crazy voice. It was right. Stay at home, hide under a desk. Yeah, you couldn't. You were out there. Not allowed to. Yeah, have to be on stage. <laughs> It's, it's going to take us a long time to come to terms with it all, isn't it? It's really? crazy. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little a, a story. So in the middle of the, the first year of the pandemic, I got asked if I would like to go to Australia to be on a television show. Uh-huh. 
And I was like, well, we're not allowed to travel. And they're like, no, 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 no. We'll find a way. You can, you know. Uh, and they said, here, you know, we will give you some money. I was like, well, money I need. So, okay. So I went to Australia in the height of the pandemic. During lockdown, I went to Australia. Um, Covertly. Huh? Covertly. Covertly <laughs> on a plane that was mostly empty. Right. Um, so great for the environment. Um, and... I got there, was met at the airport by the army, taken to a very nice hotel where I would be uh, quarantined for two weeks in my hotel room. And I went up in the lift with this soldier and halfway up I went, oh, I haven't got my uh, door key. And he said, you don't need a door key, you're not leaving. Which was kind of weird. We got to my floor, walked along a corridor to my room, sat outside in the corridor was um, a security guard who said, if I tried to leave, they would tase me. Wow. Um, and then I went in and I, for two weeks, I was just in this hotel room. It was a nice hotel room. I had a nice view. I could order like Uber Eats, you know. Yeah. I did yoga every day and I did, I wrote a book. Um, and and then on the, the and, and then the idea was after two weeks, I would go to another hotel and we'd film this TV show. Okay. The day before I was, my, my two weeks was up, the TV show person called me and said, yeah, there's been an outbreak on set. The whole series has been cancelled. Just go home. <laughs> Did you get paid? <laughs> wow. Yes. Wow. I got home when no one else had been leaving their house. I was like, I was in Australia, but not really, because I was just in a, in a hotel room. I could see Australia. Could but... you? I suppose you couldn't tell anyone either. No, I'm, I'm still not allowed to say what show it was. Um, but... Uh, Everything was upside down and weird. In your uh, latest YouTube video, um, you've just come back from the festival and you're reflecting on the things that you get to do. And it's almost as if even now you're still quite surprised <laughs> about some of the things that you, you get to do that you're part of. Is, is, that, is that something you're conscious of that you reflect quite a lot on? I mean, wow, I get to do this. Yeah, I think it's important. I'm not, you know... I, I try and have um, kind of regular uh, internal conversations with the teenage me, you know, with yes. that young nervous kid, you know, um, you know, and, and to show that kid what my life has become, that I get to do all these crazy things. And my friends are, you know, incredibly talented, glamorous, burlesque performers and weird circus monkeys and, you know, all these people who are way more interesting than me, um, that I get to be a part of that life. Mm. And that I pay my my mortgage by making things, by by performing, by writing, by making videos, all that stuff. It just, you know, ideas that come out of my head, buy me pizza. Um, that's incredible. And anyone who is in my position that isn't able to sit back and go, oh, God, I'm such a lucky fuck mm. that, you know, I... I I think anyone could do this. It's just, you know, whether luck and chance and whatever puts you in a position where you have the self-belief that you can do this, you know. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's a ridiculous life. And, and I'm so absurdly lucky. Um, and, and that makes me, you know, not want it to stop. You know, yeah. that, that, that's a good motivating factor. Keep making things, keep going out, doing things you haven't done before, work in a media you haven't done, meet new people, go to new places, do more, do more, do more, you know. What's this book you've written? Can you talk um, about it? 
when's this going out next week i'll tell you <laughs> I'm ah, sorry, I'm really okay sorry. okay um, I have. It's something we can look out for. Yeah, it, it'll be a long time because uh, okay. the world of publishing moves very slowly. But, uh, yeah. but I have, I have written a book and it's going to get published. Uh, <sighs> and it's, well, that's enough. Um, that's exciting. Yeah, I, it's one of the things I'm most proud of that I've ever done. I, I, I'm stupidly excited. Wow. Oh, um, good, good. But I have to sit on it for. A does does that mean you'll be immersing yourself then in a completely different, like in the book set, yeah, doing completely. signings? Yeah, and yeah, going yeah, yeah, yeah. To... yeah. Great. I'll be book the festivals. weird guy in a whole new uh, world. Yes. yes. <laughs> how in? How interesting. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to end by asking what's next for you, um, but even further ahead. What do you see your legacy being? Do you think you would, would you ever take on an apprentice? Would you um, share your, have you shared your knowledge? And look, the, look, the last thing I want is someone younger and, and probably better <laughs> looking and fitter being better than me and taking my gigs. Come on. <laughs> I'll take on an apprentice as long as they're like uh, 85 years old or older. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, no, I mean, I haven't, I don't, hmm, I haven't thought about that, that idea, that sort of direct mentorship, but hopefully, you know, I know there are people that out there whose work, that, that, that my work has influenced and, and mm. that's nice, you know, I think you do that in a general sense, just by making lots of stuff and throwing it out there for people to kind of remix and take in their own direction. Um, legacy, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, it, it, it's just about, you know, from a professional point of view, I think as a circus performer, for want of a better phrase, mm -hmm. my job is to find a trick, um, clean it up, put my twist on it, and then hand it down to the next person to, to put their twist on it and develop art forms. You know, culture mm -hmm. is remix. That's what it all is. Um, in turn, you know, it's just, you just try and, make things that are honest and real and entertain people you know i'm an entertainer so that's more important than my opinions or any of that stuff as you know when i go on stage the number one and two thing is laughing and clapping mm. um other stuff is great but you know I'm, I'm being paid to make people laugh and clap um you just try and do good work that yeah that is honest leave the place better than where you found it you know and experience as much as possible, I guess. Be a good person. Uh, you know, <laughs> I like, I like don't all that. be a dick. Just <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, that's ideal. Yeah. <laughs> um, where can people find you if they want to find out more? Obviously, seeing you live is the best way to experience your yes. art form. Yes, seeing me live, you can smell me. Um, yeah. Um, I am all over all the social medias, um, you know, as you've been kind enough to say, my YouTube channel, uh, it's Matt Ricardo, uh, M-A-T, one T in Matt Ricardo. I am that on all of the social places, um, Twitter, Instagram, uh, I guess Facebook, but who does Facebook? What am I, 90? Um, <laughs> YouTube, Patreon. Mr. Don, Patreon, yes, please give me money. That, sound, <laughs> uh, that sounded bad. Uh, <laughs> Um, I know where you live. Give me money. Um, yeah, come and say hi. Um, I, I, I am uh, friendly and approachable on the internet. I, I like to talk. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, Matt. You are a rare treasure. Oh, thank you. I, I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi. 
Hi again, it's Carly. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you want to find out more or get in touch, head over to teawithkingsandqueens.com.